Yeah, so again, uh, David and my wife's name is Grace, and we have a little baby girl. She's 18 months. Her name's Ada. Um, yeah, she's, yeah, no, I, I do that all the time. She's, she's, she's adorable. And um, man, I, it's, it's interesting about the Christian life. It's almost as if there are stages to understanding who God is. And um, I really began to understand the Father's heart the moment I became a father, you know? And, um, and I just heard that uh, Jamie's, he's got his fourth coming. And my wife and I, we want four kids too, so maybe I'll talk to you a little bit later about how the journey's been for you. Um, but yeah, again, I'm so glad to be here. Um, we, have a, we have the passage here, and, and I am giving a, a sermon. And um, yeah, so just do your best to follow along. I'm going to read from John chapter 6, verses 35, 40. Okay. Um, it's up there. If you, if you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. If You could just read along here. Um, I'm going to read y'all follow along, okay? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not, never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Verse 37, And all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And all God's people said, Amen. Can you bow with me? Father God, we thank you so much, again, for the great privilege to come down here, um, ODS FCA, with May and Pastor Jamie and, and these fellow friends and brothers and sisters. God, we thank you that your spirit is here too. And we ask that you would speak through me and speak to uh, these friends here, that you would give us a spirit of listening, a spirit of discernment, understanding, Father, that it would only be your words for our stand alone uh, on your word. And so, God, just come and, and, and lead us right now in this time of worship. We thank you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Now, uh, from this passage, there's only two points I want to make. The fact is, and the one is this, God is in complete control. Do you guys believe that? He's, he's, he's in absolute sovereignty in our salvation, meaning He's in full control and has perfect right in saving whom He wants to save, and the equally important fact that He freely offers Himself, His Son, to us as salvation. Now, that's something that's not really palatable for a lot of people. This whole idea of God saving whom He wants to save. This idea of God picking and choosing whom He wants to save. This idea of election. And it's this. God saves whom He saves, and yet the free gift of salvation to all is really the mystery of God's grace. It's, it's really interesting. Now, um, I'm here at ODU, and uh, I, had a, I had a friend many, many years ago who uh, went to ODU. He's a high school buddy. And, you know... ODU, we know, is not Ivy League, uh, but we know that it has great connections with, uh, EC, uh, with Eastern Virginia Medical College, right? And so he did, he went down the path where he took the pre-med program and, and got whatever acceptance into that med school, and, and, and he's, he's, living a, he's living a, you know, relatively comfortable life as a medical doctor now and doing all that stuff. So we know why people come, not just to ODU, but higher education, college. You come here to get an education, Right. And why? Because we, believe, we are a society that believes in education. We believe in education because we spend every single year billions and billions of dollars towards schools and curriculums and policies because we're convinced, we are convinced that education is the key 
We are convinced that education holds the answers to every problem that have ever existed. We say this person is homeless, jobless. Well, he should have stayed in school. Don't we say that sometimes? We, we say this person, he's, he's, he's ignorant, he's racist or whatever. He's not educated. He, he hasn't traveled. He hasn't experienced you know, higher learning, higher life, and all that stuff. And so we think education really is the key to society's issues. And so we have this formula. You give someone the right information, and, they, and we present convincing truth, and then we give them that opportunity, and that person will hopefully eventually do the right thing, right? Well, the answer is wrong. No. That's not always the case. Sadly, the formula doesn't always work. And from this passage, we learn that knowing or being educated is not enough. We learn that knowing everything, experiencing everything, is not enough to know God. It's not enough to have a relationship with God. I want you to turn to the neighbor and say this. Knowing a lot is not enough. Now turn to your neighbor and say this. Stop being a know-it-all. <laughs> now turn to them and say this I'm a better rower than you I think May told me about like I think May told me about eight, eight of you guys are rowers it has been a, it's, 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 it's been a dream it's been a dream of mine to actually join crew um, it has it has. I, I have. I actually have a hat that says Navy Crew, um, and and so when people when people come to me, they're like, oh, "Are you in the Navy?" I'm like, "Nope." Are you on crew? No. Why are you wearing that? Because. Uh, because. <laughs> my wife is in the Navy, so if anything, I feel like just by association, <laughs> somehow accepted. Um, but yeah, so. Knowing, knowing, knowing a lot, having, having whatever education, it's just, that's not the formula. It's not, it's not enough for you to know God. It's not enough for you to have a relationship with God. In verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Then he says, whoever comes to him, whoever believes in him, will no longer suffer the pangs of hunger or thirst or anything like that. So he's saying, hey, you come to me and you'll, you'll know me. But the thing is, people still don't know him. They still don't believe him. All the people that have been following, they still don't believe him. And Jesus, he makes a point about their unbelief. He says in verse 36, You've seen me, and yet you don't believe me. In other words, Jesus is saying, To all the crowds that have been following him from day one, because they saw all the crazy miracles that he's been performing. They're like, wow, this guy is a lot better than David Blaine. This guy, he can walk on water. I saw it, I saw it and he calmed the storm. And I saw him heal the, the sick. And I saw him, saw him give sight to the blind. I saw him do crazy stuff. In fact, there were like thousands of us. And he literally fed every single one of us until we were full. And these people were following after the show. And they saw this great act. And not only that, Jesus was, he had the opportunity to sit down with these, these skeptics and to explain even about what he's all about. So after repeated signs and wonders, after repeated explanations, after arguing against their, their false worldviews and, and questions and misconceptions, and yet despite all that, people still didn't believe. Now a lot of people right now in this day and age, they say this, if God, if you just come down right now, I'll believe you. Uh, I hear that so many times from atheists. I go, no. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, atheists didn't believe him when Jesus was walking with them, living with them, eating with them, dining, doing all that stuff with them. It won't make any difference today. People still won't believe. That's why I love that saying. They say, faith may produce miracles, but miracles will not necessarily produce faith. Just because you see doesn't mean that you'll believe. And that's the case here. 
crowds. I'm not just talking about one or two. I'm talking about thousands of people witnessing all this stuff, and yet they do not believe. He says, you've seen me. You've seen all the work that I've done. You've seen everything, and yet you still don't believe me, he says. You see, it's not an educational problem. It's not about knowing and seeing and experiencing a growing intellect. No, it's not a knowledge problem. It's not an exposure problem. For goodness sakes, Jesus taught the people himself. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard some church members who have come to our church and I said, Why, are you a church member elsewhere? And they go, yeah, I left this church. Why? Oh, because the pastor is just not good. I go, is that why you're not growing? What do you mean I'm not growing? Well, you're spiritually stunted. What are you talking about? Well, you're, you're church hopping. You're church hopping. Do you think Christianity is a buffet? You pick and choose what you want to do? Is that what you're doing? How about this? Well, he's not, he's not the pastor I want. Then you pray that he becomes the pastor you want. Keep, you pray. You pray that he becomes the pastor you want. And if the praise isn't good, then you pray that the praise becomes the praise that you want. You know? Let's stop this whole Christian buffet, choosing, picking, choosing. I want a little meatloaf here. I want a little mac and cheese right there. No, no, no. You, you, you stay for the whole thing. Why? God wants, does he want sacrifice? He wants obedience. He wants you to commit to him. That's what he wants here. And so it's not about whether you have a good teacher or not. These people here were exposed to the teacher, Jesus. Jesus teaching him, the son of God. And yet these people are like, ah, I still don't believe you. Ah, you're still not good enough. I still don't believe. And therein lies the problem. You see, we don't suffer from a lack of understanding. We don't suffer from a lack of convincing truth or a lack of visible or scientific evidence. We actually suffer, and here it is, we actually suffer from spiritual blindness. That's our problem. Turn to your neighbor and say this. Your problem is spiritual blindness. <laughs> I know, you guys are too sweet. You guys are saying... You guys, like, not really, but you guys are spiritually blind. <laughs> right? I mean, we're dealing with spiritual blindness or spiritual deadness, however way you want to call it. That's the problem. That's our problem. And this spiritual deadness, it renders us totally unresponsive to God, no matter how much evidence we might see, hear, touch, taste, or smell. God can come down to you right now and be like, here I am. We'll still say, eh, no, God, I, st I still don't believe you. People have a hard time grasping this whole concept, by the way, of free will and how that plays a part in salvation or how God saves whom He wants to save. If we have free will, then certainly it's not fair, and maybe you guys have asked yourselves this, or maybe other people have asked you this too, but it's not fair if we truly have free will that God gets to play pick and choose whom He saves and whom He doesn't. Then that means that it completely renders our free will to be saved or not pointless. The thing is this, we do have free will. We do. We are free to do whatever we want, but the one thing people don't quite understand that comes with free will is the fact that we're spiritually dead. We're spiritually blind. When we are spiritually blind or spiritually deaf and spiritually dead to the things of God, we are naturally as natural as the air we breathe. We are naturally in bondage to sin because of our deadness. So though we are free, to do whatever we want, you can. We are not spiritually able to respond to Jesus because we just don't want to. If we had our way, which we do, every moment of every day for the rest of our lives here on earth would be a life lived apart from God. Now, let me ask you this. Maybe you're thinking, no, 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 David, I don't think that's the case here. Let me ask you this. Is it easier 
to wake up in the morning and read your Bible and pray, or is it easier to press the snooze button and sleep? Exactly. Is it easier, okay, is it easier to hate someone or to love someone? Hate. You're all liars, okay? <laughs> is it easier to forgive someone or not forgive someone? Not forgive. Do you see how natural sin is for us? Do you see how naturally inclined we are to just choose not God, right? And so we have free will. We make that decision all the time. We make it all the time. You see, guys, we, we would actually never choose God. We would actually never choose God, not even on our best day. You know, even as a pastor, where every single day I have a Bible in front of me, and I got, I got a board full of members from my youth kids to my young adults, my college students. I got, I got a couple hundred of them, and I'm just looking at them. And there are times where I'm just like, I really don't want to pray for you. I'm just like, I know what you did last time, and you're, you're, just, you're just a little punk right there. I don't want to do that, right? Even, even me, even I got to restrain myself. Be like, no, Lord, help me to walk in, in your spirit. Help me, help me to be controlled by the Holy Spirit instead of, instead of you know, led by my flesh. You see, it's so easy to go against God. Why? Because we choose it every day. It's, it's in our flesh. It's what we do. And that is why God, God had to save us. You see? Not us get to God. Not us climb the ladder of holiness. Not us earning God's favor. No, it was God. He had to choose us because we would never choose Him. God loving us. God forgiving us. God giving us His Son. That's Him. He's the one who did it all. He started it all. He's the one who picked us out of our pit of despair and sin. Remember, Jesus is the one who came from where? Heaven to earth. It wasn't that man got to God. No, God got to man. In verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Jesus is able to look behind in front of every event of time. He knows what's behind every word, every attitude, every desire of the people. And he can look back to the eternal words of God's decree that in eternity past, God has chosen out of all the sinful people who have ever existed, God has chosen some that He will say, I'm going to lavish my grace upon you. And you might think, well, Pastor David, I still don't think it's really fair that God chose some and not others. And let me tell you this. This is what's not fair. It's not fair that there was there are billions of people saying, God, screw you. God, I hate you. God, I don't want you. God, I refuse you. God, I reject you. And yet God sends His own Son to us. That's not fair. All these people, billions of people saying, God, I want to live in my physical life apart from you, and therefore I also want eternity away from you. And God says, you know what? I love you so much, and I want to protect you from my wrath and eternal condemnation. I'm giving you my own son, Jesus. I'm giving you myself to die for your sins that you should pay the price for. That's not fair. What's fair is this, that you and I reap what we sow. That's fair, don't you think? What's fair is that we get judged according to our thoughts and our words and our deeds because if we want to play the fair game, okay, then not a single person in the entire world's time would ever be innocent. There would be not one innocent person. I defy you to find that one person. Let me tell you, I love my baby girl. 
But let me tell you, from the moment that she was, she had, she can hold, she would, she could hold her head up. And I was holding her, and I have my, well, not this one, but another one's a little bit more shiny. And I'm holding her. You know what she did? First thing she did was uh, she looked at it, and she got her little pudgy fingers around it. She tried to yank it off me. That's the, that's, that's the first thing, holding her, and she saw the shiny thing, and she saw, like a goldfish, right? It's just attracted to something, and she sees it, and she goes, I want it. Now, what would stop her if she was a 20-year-old guy with the strength of a 20-year-old man? with that kind of spirit. He will kill me to get what he wants. There is no one innocent. Even my baby girl who, who has never said a single word at that age, at that time, still did something so sinful. See, I go, Ada, this ain't yours. <laughs> it's mine. I'll buy you one later, but this is not yours. And she goes, I don't care. I don't care. I want things my way. I want things the way I want it. Even my baby is depraved. Even she's sinful. There is no innocent person. Which is why God, He gives grace to whom He wants to. Because it is His divine prerogative. It is His divine sovereignty to lavish grace upon who He wants to lavish. It's like this. How many people are there? There's four, eight, nine, ten right here at least. Let's say I got, I got a few hundred dollars here. I don't. I'm a pastor, remember? Uh, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Do we have the offering plate somewhere? <laughs> right. So let's say I, I say I got a few. Let's let's say in one. Stop <laughs> ramen. They got that. They give that to you. I don't even have ramen. Yeah, that's good currency. All right. So let's say I have a few hundred dollars, and I go like this. I go. I'll give a hundred dollars to you. I'll give hundred to you. I'll give to hundred, 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 hundred right there. I'll stop right there. The rest of you four, no. I give you one, I give you one, I give you one, I give you one, I give up to, what's your name again? Aaron. Aaron, I give to, up to Aaron $100, and you guys are probably saying, yes, finally I get to finally eat a meal. <laughs> right? <laughs> now we have the four here right now who are $100 less. You guys don't have any money, but you might say, Pastor David, where's mine? I go, where's your what? Where's my $100? I go, you don't have $100. I know, that's right, because it's, it's, it's mine. <laughs> Why do I have to give you my $100? Well, because you gave it to these people. I go, yeah, I did. So? Now, I'm being a bit, I'm giving you guys a little attitude. I hope God doesn't sound like this to you all, right? But here's the thing. You're thinking, it's fair if they got it, that you should get it. No. Why? Because you never had it to begin with. I gave you a hundred. I gave you a hundred, a hundred, and a hundred, a hundred, up to Aaron. It was out of my own goodness, it was out of my own love, is by my own goodness and grace that I just lavish you. Why? For the sake of lavishing, because I am love. I want to give you. You have absolutely no right to ask something for me that's, that was never yours to begin with. Does that make sense? What's actually fair in this case is that I just keep my money. And you guys remain, all, all of you, without $100. That's actually fair. I mean, is it fair for me to ask of you, hey, give me $100? Of course not. 
God He chooses to bless whom he, he chooses to bless. God saves whom He chooses to save. The glorious truth of this passage is that our, in, our ability or inability has nothing to do, has absolutely nothing to do with God saving us. God saves us by His sovereign choice because behind it all, He has an amazing plan that through our salvation, He will have completed His saving work. You see, brothers and sisters, there's more to life than just your Christian life of being saved. A lot of people think that the moment you get saved, like that's, the, that's what life is all about. The joy of our salvation, okay, being saved, is a means to the end. I'm going to say that again. Your salvation, you being saved, is a means to an end because our salvation, as wonderful and as gracious as it is, is actually subordinate to God's everlasting glory, which is ultimate. It is about God's glory. It's not even about your salvation. We are saved for the glory of God. Now you turn to your friend and say that. We are saved for the glory of God. And let me tell you, I can't wait when the whole universe cries out, when all creation cries out, when every nation, tongue confess, and every knee shall bow that Jesus is Lord. That's when God receives the glory of His completed work. And so God, He's got this amazing plan purpose for all of life. And by His grace and mercy, by giving us the Son, Jesus, who died on the cross for us and rose from the grave, He has changed our deadness to life. So now we have this new life and this new creation that we are. We are born again. You've heard that term? We can now proclaim the greatness of our God where we will then partake in the ultimate glory of God. Now remember... I remember talking to some, uh, I take my church out to Pittsburgh every year for domestic missions. And in the Carnegie Mellon University area, we go and do some campus ministry evangelism, some street side evangelism, things like that. And I remember evangelizing and I came across this one man who knew, because we've been there many years and we're affiliated with YWAM, have you ever, Youth with a Mission, I, I recommend it to you all. Um, but it's a missions organization, anyways, we're a part of them. Part of that organization, we go out and we do evangelism. This guy, apparently he knew exactly what's, what, we, what we do. That we're Christians, that we go out sharing the gospel and all that stuff. And so he quickly comes to me because I was with my youth kids. They're all young kids, so I guess he didn't want to attack anyone young. So he comes up to me, and then he starts shouting at me. And he goes, you know what? I don't need God to become a better person. I'm just like caught off guard. I'm you know, still trying to collect myself. He goes, you know what? I don't need God to be a better husband. I don't need God to become a better father. I don't need God to become a better employee. I don't need God to become a better citizen. I am good on my own, and I don't need you, and I don't need Jesus, and I don't need God, and I don't need the church, and I don't need anything. So stop shoving this down my throat. Stop force feeding on the people around here, because we clearly don't want it, nor do we need it. And then he just rushed off before I could say anything. Now, let me tell you, this man's rant was a reflection of what churches and false understanding of the gospel had done to people. Because let me say this, this man, everything he said, every little thing that he said, he's completely right. He's right. We don't need God to be a better parent. You don't need God to be a better parent. You don't need God to be a better spouse. You don't need God to be a better uh, student or citizen. You don't need God to do those stuff. You don't need God to be those things. If you want to become a professional rower or join the Olympics, you don't need God for that. You can, you, can, you can certainly win the Olympic gold medal without Him. But Jesus, He didn't die on the cross for us to become an Olympian. 
He didn't die on the cross for us to become better people. Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to become a better spouse or husband because there are plenty of good people and honestly, many of them, non-Christians who are good people, are actually much more generous and kind than, and forgiving than Christians claim to be. But here's the thing, Jesus he didn't die to change our behavior. Jesus didn't die for us to become outstanding citizens. He didn't die for you all to make the dean's list. He didn't die for you all to marry the man or the woman of your dreams. He didn't die for the fact that you, for you to become doctors or lawyers or teachers or whatever to get the job of your dreams or the house of your dreams. No, Jesus didn't die so that the person in your family with cancer would get healed. He didn't die so that you would stop watching pornography. He didn't die so that you'd stop having sex with your girlfriend or boyfriend. He didn't die so that you'd diligently start reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. He didn't die so that you'd pray before every single meal. Come on now. Let's not minimize and insult the sacrifice of Jesus. You think Jesus dying on the cross says, Oh, I hope Aaron becomes a doctor. Oh, I become, I hope that David finally reads the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You think that's what Jesus is thinking? You think Jesus is thinking, Oh, I hope, I hope that these students become the, the they, they pursue academic excellence and become the best that they can be and reach for the stars and realize their dreams. This is what I die for. That's ridiculous. Jesus didn't die for us to live our best lives now, like many prosperity gospel-driven people say. You know why Jesus died? He died for this one single purpose, to change our deadness to life. Because there's something far greater than your need for success, or for your need for happiness or anything. No, there's something far deeper, and something has taken far greater root in you, than any depression or any insecurity or failure. You see, there's something dead and rotting inside you. And it has nothing to do with God. And he says, I have come and I will die so that I can change you. He died to take the wrath of God upon our sin so that we could have a relationship with God. A personal relationship with the God of the universe. Can you believe that? I, li I live a stone's throw away from Washington, D.C. in the White House. My wife, she went to GW uh, undergrad in med school, so we go there all the time just to hang out with people and, and check out restaurants, and so we pass by Pennsylvania Avenue and do all that stuff, and Obama is right there. And yet, I have no relationship with him. I know, this is so sad, right? It's like ridiculous. <laughs> but here, through Christ, we can have a relationship with someone better. We can have a relationship with God Jesus died so that we can be with God and have God. Amen? So it is in response to that great sacrificial love that we live for Christ. That's why we love others. Okay, It's because of Christ that we can now love others because Christ showed us how to love others. Because He's given the power to us to love others. We can now forgive others just as Christ did for us. That's why we can serve others too because Christ himself came to serve and not be served. You see, seeking purity and seeking holiness and seeking righteousness and reading the Bible and forgiving and praying and helping one another and doing all that charitable good stuff and all that stuff, that's not what God wants from us. But we do all that because, because we get to do it for him. It is a response. It is a response. You know, um, during the first few years, I've been married to my wife for three years, and, and almost every Friday, she loves macaroons. Anyone love macaroons? Yeah, they're delightful. I hated them at first. I thought they were just overly priced French puff, whatever things. 
But after eating him, you know, for a few for a few weeks because she was pregnant and she wanted that. And I, and I got him every Friday. There's this little little cafe near our home, and so I'll go there every Friday. I'll bring her like at least six dozen, and um, you know, <laughs> and she and she would and she would eat it. And and do I do that because I because I am afraid of her? <laughs> Partially, yes, but no, <laughs> exactly. Why is it funny? I'm like, here here I come bearing gifts to you, right? No, I do that. Why? Because I love her. Because I love her, I give her this. You see, when we read and when we pray and when we help others and are charitable and we serve and we do all that stuff, it is a response to the already given love that God has given us. Do you get that? Because He's already lavished grace upon us, we get to lavish grace upon others. Because He's already lavished forgiveness upon us, we can also lavish forgiveness on, on others and, and, and so on and so forth. So it is a response. For those of you who are saved, now I'm coming to an, a close here. Those of you who are Christians, those of you who are my brothers and my sisters in Christ, who profess that Jesus Christ is the one and only, that He has forgiven you of all your sins, and you know that today, right now, if you die, you are to be in heaven. I pray that right now that you will let your Christian life be a moment-by-moment -moment response to the graciousness of God. Now, don't, read, don't just read the Bible. Know that you get to read the Bible. Don't just pray. Know that you get to pray. You get access to the Father. Don't love us. Know that you get to love others through Christ Jesus. Verse 40 simply states, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on that last day. Friends, God saves everyone who trusts in Jesus. That is a promise. That is a guarantee. It is not by works. It is not by you guys becoming the best of best or whatever. It is not by deeds or tradition. It is only by the blood of Jesus. Trust in Him today. If you do, your sufferings, they might not go away. But the Lord will use it to refine you. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, He will change your heart of stone into flesh and He will give you spiritual life for all eternity. And let me tell you, that is so much better than anything else. That's so much better than anything else. If you, have given, if you haven't given your life to Jesus today, man, I, I want to encourage you guys to come today, come forward, become a child of God. Know that your life, your eternity is secure, that the moment that you step out of this classroom, anything that happens, you know what? You know it is in God's hand and that you will experience and because you will inherit the everlasting joy and peace of salvation. It is only through Jesus, only through Jesus, because He is the one who did it all. Amen? All right, let me pray, and we're going to close in, in uh, one final song, or maybe one or two, but let me hit the lights. So, Father, I just, I just thank you again for this opportunity, and Lord, um, man, I just, want, I just want to declare goodness. For some reason, you brought uh, May to this wonderful university, and and, and somehow you've let you've led her to our church, and you've allowed me to be her pastor. And, and through May, I was able to get connected to Pastor Jamie here and and, and speak here. And so it's not all, it's not a coincidence. There's a reason why. And I just want to ask Father, would you do what you got to do here tonight? The hearts and the lives of people right now, and yeah, we love them, might know you, but love them might have a fractured relationship with you. And if that's the case, Lord, would you restore them back to you? 
If there's anyone here who simply does not know you, but they're seeking and they're questioning and they're curious, but they're also confused. And they're distracted perhaps because there's a whole lot of talk going around outside of saying, man, don't believe in that stuff. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would do away with those falsehoods and lies and that you would lead them to your truth. Father God, I, today we just, we just want it to be about you and your glory. We want to experience and so I ask in the name of Jesus that you would bring the weight of your glory upon this little conference room here. That we would all experience and encounter you in such a real and powerful way that it is just undeniable. Yes, Lord, there have been people 2,000 years ago who followed Jesus and saw every single thing and yet they still do not believe God. I pray that we would not be those people. But Lord, that you would give us faith today. Faith to trust and to believe and to give our entire lives to you because Jesus, you gave your entire life for, to us. You did not hold anything back. And so, Lord, just reclaim us right now. Bring us back. We thank you so much for your control, for your sovereignty, for the fact that you love us and the fact that you chose us. Chose us. You are the one who chose us. And so, Lord, we know that if you've chosen us, you'll also do the maintaining. We are in your hands. We thank you. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. the call right now is simply are you broken enough to know that you need a savior don't think that just because you've been a Christian for a long time that you're good and that you're straight and that, that this everything that's been spoken everything that you've been hearing today is just irrelevant because it's old news you may have a relationship with the Lord but how's your fellowship with him I was talking to May earlier today, and we are talking about this, that those are two different things right now. I got a baby girl, and she grows up, and she becomes a teenager, and becomes totally rebellious, and, and says, Dad, screw you, I want to I leave, and run off with my boyfriend, do drugs, and do all that stuff. And she disappears for a period of time. Does that change who she is to me? Is she still my daughter? Yes, of course she still is. I still got the relationship, but how's my fellowship with her? It's broken. Now what I'm waiting for as a father is that one day she'll pick up the phone and have the courage and the, the, the repentance and the humility to say, Dad, I've made a mistake. Can I come back to you? And I will say, absolutely. Come back now. I will give you money. Take a plane or a train or a bus, whatever you got to do. Come back here because my arm is open. Come back home. And that would restore that fellowship that was once broken. Right now, perhaps those of you who have a relationship with the Lord, but you've been so far removed from Him. Maybe your fellowship is fractured and broken and maybe you've been rebelling too and right now God is asking you can, you, can you come back to me? Can you come back to me? Are you broken inside? And maybe, yeah, maybe you feel like you can't, you don't have enough strength and the desire to love God but, but it's God's great love that compels us. It's God's great kindness that leads us to repentance. You see, it's God who, who draws you, but are you, are you willing to surrender to his, to his love and His grace? Are you willing to kneel before Him and submit and say, God, I don't have things together. I, I don't know what I'm doing. God, I do need you.
maybe that's something you guys need to think about tonight and tomorrow and the day after and really for the rest of our lives is God am I am I where am I where am I with you but Lord we thank you so much that you have given us this time and given me this opportunity to uh, preach your word and Lord I'm so blessed just being here but Lord we know that you're not done we know that you're still stirring and working the hearts and lives of these students here and and Lord I just want to also lift up Pastor Jamie that you would equip him with all the wisdom and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to continue on in ministry because campus ministry is so so hard it is which is why only man who's called into ministry could ever really do anything Lord because you're backing him up so I pray for your great hand to lead him right now and I pray for these students here and these brothers and sisters and these friends to really grow in faith and that you would work in their lives Lord, we thank you so much for this chance, this opportunity. Would you continue to move and bless us, guide and protect us throughout tonight, help us have a wonderful, fruitful week, but one that's close with you. Lead us today. We thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.